Um, I thought we would start today uh, with some movie spoilers. How many of y'all have seen Endgame yet? All right, so for the rest of us, I heard a Han dies. I'm just kidding. Um, all right, all right. I am going to spoil a movie for you. Um, there's a movie uh, in 2002 that came out. It was a movie called Signs. Now, uh, in this movie, how many of y'all have seen this movie, Signs? It's, it's, I figure I could be 19 or 17 years. You could, you could see the movie before then. And if not, it's your fault that, I spoiled, that, that it got spoiled. Um, in this movie, there's a, there's a, a pastor, a reverend, uh, played by Mel Gibson. His name is, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he, uh, he goes through this, this event, this tragic event. His wife passes away. And when his wife passes away, in that single moment, he takes it as a, as a sign, if you will, that there is no God. That as a pastor, there's no way, Graham, that's his name, Graham, there's no way that his, his wife could have died if God existed. So he takes this one event as a sign that God doesn't exist. And no matter everything else in the world just becomes to him randomness, it just becomes uh, just chance, just randomness, coincidences, but no real purpose or reason. Now, as the movie unfolds, you begin to see that every single detail of the movie is not random or chance. In fact, it draws to this one single point in time in the movie in which, as you're watching it, you realize that everything about this movie has been going with a clear direction, a clear purpose. And in fact, it gets to the point to where he eventually will say, uh, to, to his son, right as it is, this event is about to happen, these aliens are invading, but uh, I don't want to get bogged down. Right as they're, they're about to invade, he has a, a conversation with his son, and it's a very interesting conversation. This is what he says. He says to his son, he says, there are two types of people in this world. There are some people who look at all of the events in life, all, all of the pieces, and fit them together and they believe that they are signs, that they are a purpose, and that there is a God, there is someone above them who is orchestrating, designing this. And he said those people, when they see something uncertain or they see something they can't fathom how it will end, they find hope knowing that there's somebody above them. He said, but there's a second group. There's a group of people who no, there's nobody above them. There's nobody designing this. In fact, this is all random. And those people, when they see uncertainty, when they see something they can't see beyond, they're filled with fear because they know ultimately they are alone. The movie plays out and he regains his faith. He sees that the signs that were everywhere actually overwhelm him. And, and, and eventually he, be, he even sees that that one sign that took his faith away becomes part of his story. And he actually begins to see that that was even part of the signs he was being given from above. You know, when we think about our faith in God, why, why God exists, there are a lot of you like, like me that just wish God would, would give you a sign and by a sign would hold up a sign and say, I wish he would just say, God exists. Hey, I'm right here. I wish he'd come down from heaven and he would hold up this sign and this sign would be, hey, in case you were wondering, here I am. Got any questions? And you could just, you know, ask him right there. And until that happens, there are some of us that, that will live our lives seeing randomness everywhere. 
and ultimately saying, you know what, until he slaps me in the face, I'm going to just assume that this is all there is, that there is no real, real design to this. Now, you can live your life like that, and then I tried, I've actually been through seasons in my life where that's where I was. But now I, I, I've, I've taken this, this different approach of divine clues. About uh, probably a year or two ago, I started taking my son, my youngest son, to the bus stop. And as I take him to the bus stop, every single morning, I would see the sunrise. And I, I now will stop him, and I'll, I'll make him look at it, and I'll say, hey, why is that sunrise there? And he'll say, not because God is showing off. And the reason he says that is because there's this one, this one morning where as I was walking to the bus stop, there were people already there. There were all your kids waiting. And these kids, by the way, it's, it's interesting. In, at our bus stop, every single person there is of a different race and of a different faith. And so we're going and they're already kind of looking at the sunrise. And so we get there and we stop and we look, and I'm telling you, I counted, we play a little game, who could count the, the most colors? I counted 11 colors, but it was a gradient. It was an infinite amount of colors in that one sunrise. And I just, in that moment, I said, man, God is showing off. And that sunrise was just, it was powerful. But you know, there's another explanation for that sunrise, you know that the air molecules, they, they push out the shorter rays, the shorter wavelengths, and make just the oranges and stuff go through. And that's why when you look at a sunrise, those colors, it's just because naturally that's what, that's what happens. That's what just a natural, there's a reason for that. And in fact, some, uh, some scientists debate on what the evolutionary, the evolutionary value of us finding beauty is. And they say, well, the reason that we find beauty in a sunrise is because we can look at it and we can say, you know what, that gives us a piece of knowing that a storm is not coming today, which in Texas I would debate anyway, but they would say it gives you a sense of peace, it draws you into this comfort of knowing, okay, I can go about my, my normal day, I don't have to prepare for something because this sunrise is, is telling me that and therefore there's an evolutionary value to it. You can explain it with those. But as I'm looking at it, I'm never able to just say, man, I'm just, this, all these evolution, it draws me to a God who seems to show off. It's not proof, and I don't claim it's proof, but it's just a clue. I sit on my back porch sometimes, and we put a hummingbird feeder, and we've got all these different colors of hummingbirds. And in fact, I, I look at all the birds, and I'm just, it's amazing that these birds are coming in at my little yard. They're coming in and out. You know, there are 11,000 species of birds, 11,000. A thousand of them have been discovered in the last 20 years. You think about why it had to be this. And we know evolutionary scientists will tell you there's a reason. Every single, in fact, Charles Darwin himself says every single variation has to exist for that species. In other words, he said, if we find an example where beauty alone, just to give uh, joy to another species, or to point to a creator, if that was, if we find any creature that their variations in their color or in their form points to anything other than to give them value. Now, it might do those things too, but if there's anything that's just there, just God showing off, he said that would destroy this idea that God isn't driving this. That would destroy my theory, he said. And so I look at all of these birds and I think, you know, did it have to be 11,000? 
I mean, I understand that it makes, you know, we can see you feed the strong, the strong will propagate. We understand that. But did it have to be 11,000, so many, just, just colors? I start putting these clues together in my mind, and I, I was thinking about the fact there are 7 billion people on this earth, 7 billion, and every one of us is unique. And every one of us has fingerprints. And by the way, do you know that there is no uh, actual reason yet discovered of why we have fingerprints? There's a lot of theories, but no one actually knows why we have fingerprints and why every one of them is different. In the history of ever, we've never had the same fingerprint. Why is that? Do you know, they used to think it was for traction to hold something and have traction, but now they know that actually having fingerprints gives us less traction because there's less surface area, and so it doesn't make sense. And so some say that, well, that's so that the water can flow out, but I've looked at my fingers when they're wet, and I don't think that that really is giving me any, I don't know, maybe it is. And it could be as we look at all these clues, there are reasons that you could say it's random. This is from evolution. This is just uh, something that, that happens to give you an awareness. This is just the way it happened. It's purposeless but random. But when I look at it, there's another answer that just seems to drive. We're unique because God wanted us to be unique because he finds value in our uniqueness. There's beauty because beauty is there. In fact, I was listening to a song. In fact, it was that song that we played earlier, and I was drawn to worship. And as I thought, you know, music is weird. And I looked up, what's the value, the evolutionary value of music? And did you know that, that Steven Pinker, who, Pinkner, who is a, uh, kind of a philosopher, he said that there is no value to music, that it is actually kind of the waste he said it's a waste of evolutionary energy. It's a waste of value of energy when we, we spin it on music instead of where it good, could go. And, and as I listen to songs that move me so much, I think, is this really a waste or is this a gift? Now, again, I don't, I don't, I'm not claiming proof at any time. I'm just saying that when I look at these clues, I begin to be drawn to one answer that satisfies so much more than every other answer. And so, as I look at this, I, I come back to this question, would I expect this to exist if God didn't exist? Would I expect music? Would I expect everyone to be unique? Would I expect colors all over the world? Would I expect this beauty if God didn't exist? I really see the rocks cry out. I really see the wind and the waves seem to obey his name and be there for a purpose. And this leads into my next clue I want to talk about today. And this clue to me is the most important clue of all the clues, at least for me. This clue that I want to talk about today is the reason that I'm here. You see, when I was 18 years old, I was in a dorm room in, uh, in Austin, and I was struggling to fit in. I was felt like a, a failure. I was on my third major in my first semester. Three months in, I'm on my third major. That's hard to do. You got to fail, fail pretty quickly to do that. I was, my GPA was, I think, a 1.8 uh, going in, and it was just not going well. And I sunk into a depression, a depression that had plagued me my whole life, but it was coming to a head at this moment. In fact, I was to a point where I was pretty much knew I was going to fail out of school. I knew that uh, no one in my mind would, would really miss me. And I, I began to say to myself, 
is this really going to matter in a hundred years? In a hundred years, you know, my parents will be gone, so they're not going to be, you know, weeping for me. My, I, won't, I don't have any kids at the point, so they're not going to be. And in a hundred years, everyone I know is going to be gone. And, and will this really matter if I wasn't here today? Will it really matter? I began to just wrestle with this question. If I die today, if I took my life today, or if I live out 50 years and have a great, you know, whatever life, is it going to matter in 100 years? And at this point, it's hard to describe, even as a follower of Christ, I was just in this depression that I couldn't see God. And my conclusion when I lost sight of God was, you know what, this isn't going to matter. There is no real reason. In 100 years, no one's going to remember me. And maybe somebody remembers my name or something like that. But in 1,000 years, no one is going to matter for sure. And beyond that, we're all going to, it's all going to be a waste. Nothing is going to matter. And I came to this conclusion as I wrestled with this over the next few weeks. In fact, I was driven to a suicidal attempt. And after that attempt, I, I, I really had to wrestle with some things. And I basically came down to the two options. God doesn't exist. And it's just like Solomon, who in the same moment in the book of Ecclesiastes, I encourage you to read it if you've ever felt hopelessness, because he starts off looking, he looks at uh, his accomplishments, he looks at his wisdom, he looks at the work that he's doing every single day, and he says, they're all vanity. He says, I can be the wisest person on earth, and the, the fool gets to end up just like me. He says, it's all vanity. If there is no God, then it's all empty. There's nothing. Bertrand Russell, who was a philosopher in the 20th century, said this. He was an atheist. He, he said, everything is a product of accidental collocation of atoms. And if we uh, live our life, we must live our life on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. Because ultimately, there is no hope in this life, and there is no next. Yeah. I read that. And I thought to myself, you know what, that is a, a world I can't live on. And so as I, I began to wrestle with this, I found myself longing for purpose. I found myself to a place, it's not that purpose proves God to me, it's that I, I discovered I can't live without it. In other words, we can say there is no purpose, but there's no one here that's living without it. And so it drew me to option number two. We all seem to have this longing for purpose that we can't satisfy. You know, a few weeks ago, a man walked into a mall uh, and threw a child off the third story. I don't know if you heard the story. Third story, he throws a child off, they arrest the man. And uh, by the way, last week, the pastor of that child's um, um, church said that the child's going to be fine. It's a, it's a miracle of God. He has no brain damage. Everything is going to be totally fine. But the interesting thing about this story to me was they asked the man why he did it. And he said, because I got up that morning and I decided to do it. I woke up with a purpose to kill someone today. What's interesting is somebody can say that. They can say, you know what? My purpose, I'm going to make up my purpose today. But none of us looks at that person and says, that's really his purpose. None of them would say, oh, he created a purpose for himself today. That's great. And he lived it out. That's great. He lived out that purpose. We look at that and we say, that was not his purpose. You can't just make up your purpose. No one gets to make up their purpose. 
And anyone who tries to make up their purpose, we all recognize, even though sometimes we're, we might cheer them to their face, but in the, you know, oh, you're going to sell everything and become a gypsy and be a hippie. Oh, good. That's great. Live it out. But in our mind, we're thinking that's not a purpose. That's not, you can't just make it up. In fact, the words we use are never, hey, I'm going I'm to create my purpose. We say, hey, I'm going to discover my purpose. I need to find my purpose. Because we ultimately know in our hearts, purpose is something that is given to us. And if it exists, we can't make it up. It has to be bestowed upon us by somebody outside of ourselves, somebody bigger than ourselves. In fact, I would tell you the only one that can give purpose is the designer. And that's why I think this idea of purpose is a big clue it's been for me. Not only in the fact that purpose exists, C.S. Lewis said this, he said, anytime you have a, a desire, you have to understand that that points to a reality. If you have a hunger, if all of us in here are starving, which you may be, if you're starving, your stomach's growling, it points to the fact that food exists. Now you may not have food right now, but that means a steak exists somewhere that could satisfy your longing. And the fact that everyone I've ever met has this desire for purpose that is beyond what they create begin to speak to me. In a moment of weakness, I took my Bible and when I was 18 years old and I opened it. I did what I would tell you never do. I just went and opened my Bible and said, God, I need, I, I'm going to have it out. I need you to speak to me. And I opened up to Philippians chapter one. And it was Paul, the apostle Paul was in prison. He was in prison. And this is what he said. And he, by the way, he's a death sentence in prison. He's not going to live through this. He knows he's not going to live through it. These words are spoken by a man who's on death row and he knows he's not walking out. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the, the, the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak with words without fear. He says, hey, good news. God put me on death row so I could lead my, my captors to Christ, so I could tell the jailers about Jesus. And it's making everyone bold around here. People are talking about Jesus. And then he says this, this changed my life. Yes, I will rejoice for I know that it is through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, it will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. For I desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul has this, what is my purpose in this life? If heaven exists, what is my purpose in this life? And he says, my purpose in this life is that you, that everyone else may have ample joy in Christ and find his glory. I read that and I gave my life to the ministry in that moment. In fact, I would encourage you all to do the exact same thing. There's no purpose to me outside of than what Paul revealed is that we have been given a purpose for this life. And it's more than just us getting to heaven. 
It's so that our brothers and sisters in Christ may be drawn to him. And those who haven't heard will hear it. And for you, it's not going to be a vocational ministry. You may not give, give up your job and everything. In fact, I hope all of us don't do that at the same time. That would be hard to run a church. But I think that this purpose speaks to all of us, not just me. I became convinced of this clue is more important than everything else. And so I want to just say this as we look at this series. This isn't a series, uh, all of these messages aren't about uh, faith versus science, all of those things. That's, that might be a part, we might talk about those things, but this is really a s- series for you. I, I wrote this and I, I desired this series because I wrote it for you when you are exhausted, when you're Maybe you're a mother and you lay down your head at night and you think to yourself, I got to do this all over today, again, tomorrow. Or maybe you're a husband or you're a dad and you're going to work tomorrow and you know you're going to have this moment where you walk into to your job and you smell that smell or whatever it is and you just have this vibe. How did I end up here? Maybe you're a student and you, you're you walk into class and you got that smile and you know, hey, I got to have it all together. But in your mind, you are terrified and you don't have anything together. You don't know where you're going in life. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're struggling and you've got to decide which of those am I? Am I one of those people who is going to, to go through this knowing that somebody is for me and that I can move through this or am I all alone in this? The reason I want us to be confident in the existence of God isn't so you can go debate an atheist on a street corner. It's not even if you don't believe in God today, it's not even to fully convince you today. This message is mainly for those of us who are are sincerely longing and not simply trying to defend a position we already believe. If you're here today and you think that life has no purpose or maybe you don't know the purpose and You feel like I'm just in a season of fruitfulness. I don't know how I'm going to get up in the morning. This is why I want us to go through this. I'm going to give you four purposes that God has given us. And I believe that once you align with God's purposes, life changes. But you've got to understand it's the exact opposite of this question. Does God exist? It matters more than anything. If God doesn't exist, then this life is all there is. And there is no purpose to it. Every single philosopher would tell you that, that ultimately there is no purpose to your life beyond your life if God does not exist. And this is all you have. You have 80 years if you're lucky. But if God does exist, you gotta understand the implications of that go far beyond that. That means that every single breath you take matters. That the reason you're gonna go through the struggle you're going through matters. And and the main idea that you need to understand that filters all of these is this, that you're going to spend more time in the next life than this life. Those two differences, it's either all about this life or it's all about the next life. And this life is the preschool. And and when we look at God's word, it paints a picture more than just God exists. It paints a picture that everything we're doing now is building up to a, a time in which we will be forever in the presence of God. And everything we do now matters for that time. And so I believe this might be the most important message we ever hear. 
And for me, I can tell you, I would not be here had I not found a purpose beyond myself. The first thing I want to show you is this. God planned you for his pleasure. Now, this isn't your purpose. This is his purpose. But I want you to see this because it's going to feed into your purpose. You know, every single culture has had a creation story, if you will. Every single culture has, has written from the ancient Sumerians to the Greeks, every single one. And, and what's fascinating is when we read the, the Christian version of creation, when we read the Jewish version of creation, when we look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it's distinctly different than every other culture. Now, when we read Genesis chapter 1, most of us go to science or go to, oh, this is how God created it. He created it and couldn't have done it this way. It had to be this. But that's not the, what, the, what people would have, would have felt hearing Genesis be read. Because every other civilization, there's always gods that exist and they, they see something they want to change or they're, they're doing work that they don't want to do. And so there might be a sun god. There might be, you know, a god of the moon and they're doing something they don't want to do. And so they, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create men and I'm going to kind of have them be my slaves and the men can do all the work and then I'll just take it easy. And the, the men are always kind of, and women are kind of just created to, to be the kind of the kicking stones and just, just, I'll just take it, all my anger and everything out. I'll manipulate them. And they're all, we're always just kind of pawns in the story. But when we read Genesis, we read what the Bible reveals about God. It's so distinct. Genesis chapter one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And in that moment, God says, listen, man, women, there's something special about you. I'm creating you not because I need you, not because uh, I have to. But because I love you, I'm creating you. And God creates, and that's what's special about this picture we have in Genesis. It's not how he creates, it's why. It's just because he wants you here is why God creates. The last book, Revelation. You, were, you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. Another way to say it is, you created it all. It was created because you wanted it. Psalm 149 says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Ephesians 1 says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before he created, he chose you. He said, I'm doing this for you. And he said, it's not for the animals. You are not just an animal. The animals cannot pray. The animals cannot celebrate their creator other than just existing. But you, you can live a life. You can pray. You can communicate. You can love. And this points to our purpose. God created you because he loved you. But Jesus says this. He says, if you want me to sum up this, this Bible, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's everything that's in this, he said. He said, your purpose, everything about it is in this, this statement to love the Lord your God as yourself. Just be you is the reason God created you. You realize my kids, I get so much happiness just seeing them be them. My oldest son, Clayton, who's, by the way, seen Endgame twice, which apparently none of you care about that movie, but he cares a lot about it. We're going to see it again tomorrow. I bought tickets for him like, for like months ago, and he went and see, see, he sees it twice knowing I'm taking him again tomorrow. 
And, and what's interesting is when you see an Avengers movie or a comic movie with my son, he will look at the most minute person in that movie and he'll tell you their backstory because he's read every single comic that has ever existed. I myself have never read a comic book and I don't care about comics. But I get so much pleasure in just seeing him talk about something he's passionate about. I get so much pleasure in just seeing him be, it makes no difference to me what he accomplishes. Now, I hope he accomplishes a lot. But all, my, 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 my love for him is just when he's him, when he's uniquely him. The best thing my son can do for me is love me. And the best thing we can do for God is love him. I'm going to say it this way. The most important thing you can know is that God loves you. But the most important thing you can do is to love him back. Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. You need to keep this in light of eternity because remember, everything we're doing now is what we're going to be doing then. If eternity exists, which, which if God exists, it does, everything in this life is preparing us for the next life. And if we're going to be worshiping God forever, we need to get a right view of worship on this side. That's why in this church we say we celebrate. That's, how, that's the first thing we ask all our members to do is celebrate. That means come to church, but it also means live a life celebrating of worshiping. And worshiping is more than just singing. Years ago, I preached a message called, uh, Your Walk is Your Worship. And I would say this, just you being you is worship to God when you're obeying him, when you're loving him. Just you being you, even in all your uh, idiosyncrasies, all your weirdness, you being unique is pleasing to God. So in this church, we, 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 we say we exist to celebrate, and it's more than just what we do on Sundays. Because the most important thing you can do in this life, if you want to know your purpose, is to love God back. Second thing is you were formed for a family. You were formed for family. And this points to an idea that is hard to explain, but I just want to point out that I don't need my family. Have y'all ever really thought about this? Now, I don't need them. God didn't need us, okay? I wanted my family. That's why they're, 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 they exist because I wanted them. I didn't need them. I could get through life without them, but I wanted them. Some of you are all, Maybe you're not right now where, I don't know I want my family. Okay. We all want a family. That's why we have a family. Because you were created, God says, for a family. This is what God said. He says, his unchanging, this is Ephesians chapter 1, his unchanging plans have always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Okay? What is God's family? First Timothy tells us God's household, which is the church, is the, the church of the living God, the pillar of support and truth. Now, I just want to point out something. If we exist for eternity, if you are created for the next life, and if you're going to spend more time on that side of life than you are on this side of life, if you're going to spend more time on the other side uh, of life than this life, then... That means you need to be preparing. And not only do you need to be love, learning how to love God in this one and how to celebrate God, you need to be learning how to love a family. Because think about this. 
If the church is your spiritual family, you were born into a physical family and you were born again into a spiritual family. If the church is your family, you're going to be a part of this spiritual family longer than you're going to be a part of your physical family. Isn't that a crazy idea? You know, growing up, I have a brother and I have a sister and I have a mother and dad. And as I was growing up, I could never fathom a time in which they wouldn't be the most important part of my life. I could never envision a day in which I wasn't going to talk to my sister every day and just be in my, my brother and sister's life every day and they were going to be the most important things to me. But now I look and I still love my, my, my family, but they're not the most important thing. And they would say the same about me as my brother's back there saying. I see now I have this other family that's, that I never could have fathomed would have been more of a responsibility, more important to me. And as we look around at each other, and understand, this is not an institution. This is not an organization. The church is a family. And we lead it this way, and we run this church this way for a reason. Because we're going to be invested in each other's lives longer than we're going to be invested even in our physical family's life. Now, hopefully, it's one and the same. But understand, there's a reason that we have this time on earth for us to be the church. You know, and our, we, we say, and one of our, our, the things we ask all our members to do is we want to celebrate and we want to connect. And we use that word connect because we think that you have to be in, in a connection with your family because this is how you grow as a family. This is how you grow to learn to love. How are you going to be around? You realize if you can't stand people here on earth, can you imagine when you're in heaven and you realize this is going on forever? I'm going to be around these people forever. We've got to learn. That's why we, we, have, we have things that sharpen us. We, we're a church that forgives. We value forgiveness. Because if you don't learn to forgive, now it's going to be really hard to live eternity knowing I'm going to see that person the next day and the next day into eternity. God is shaping us by the way we interact with one another. And every flaw, every single mistake that I make or that somebody makes on your behalf, you realize that's an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity for you to forgive. This is your spiritual family. This week, I, I was in my connect group and uh, Mike McCormick's in my connect group and he said, hey, I don't have a truck, but I've got, I'm going to get a desk from Ikea. And so I drove Mike all the way to Ikea and got him a desk or, and took it back to us. And I thought when I was doing it, uh, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I wasn't put out by it, which there was a time in my life I would have been like somebody, the reason I want, don't want a truck is because I don't want to take all your junk around people. <laughs> But now I've got this, you know, and now it's, I gave it to my son so he can carry their junk around. But, but as I was taking it and he said this, I said, I'd love to do it. I'll find a date and we'll do it because that's what we do because we're a spiritual family. I would do it for my brother. I'll do it for my spiritual brother. Romans says we belong to one another and each of us needs each other all of the time. You'll spend more time in, this life, in the next life than you will in this life. And therefore, you need to learn how to celebrate God and you need to learn how to connect with God's people. The next thing I want to show you is that you were made for a mission. If it's true you're going to spend more time on the other side of life than on this side, you need to understand you have a mission in this life. You have a limited amount of time to get something done. We call it in this church contribute, which is give. But basically the idea is this. Everything you have, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, everything you have is an investment in something. And you're not taking anything into the bulk of your life. You're not taking anything with you 
into the next life. All your money, everything that you think, you realize eternity, if we were to picture it, would be like maybe the end of my fingernail, which is not very long. And then eternity is a string going all the way down to Waco, down 635, down 35, all the way. Eternity is gonna be so much longer. You have a limited amount of time to accomplish something valuable. And everything that you might be working for might not be pointing to that next side of life. You think about this. God has given you money. He's given you time. All that is an investment. You're investing it into eternity. And if you invested in shoes, they're not going with you. If you invested in a house, it's not going with you. But if you invest it in other people, they might go with you. If you invested in building God's kingdom, it will go with you. There's no better investment than to contribute and I'm not just talking money. I'm talking, I, you, you need to contribute inside the church and outside the church. This is what we believe. And I look at this church and I just want to brag for a little bit because that is what we're trying to build in this church. We got 15 people that have said, I'll give of my time and, and I'll give through my fears and I'll go to Peru this year. And I'll just share the word of God. And then we've got the rest of you and I can look at every single one of you and I can say, you know what? There's, a, there's a, a purpose to what they're doing that is going to last into eternity. I mean, Detlef Domogoski, right here. Detlef came to me this, uh, a week ago or so, and Detlef's been going through and seeing victory through uh, recovering, through addictions. And he came to me and he said, you know what we, we need in this church? We need better recovery. And I said, you know what? God said that. I mean, and he knows that. And so Part of what I see is where this is going is, is that God has this purpose for Detlift to serve in this area. I see it for everyone who serves in our children's area, and you, you think you're just holding babies, but you're really, people come to hear the word of God, and, and when you hand back that child and you say, hey, it was a pleasure to, to, to do this, and you may be meaning because your child's a pleasure, or you may just say because I got to serve Jesus. But you say that, understand the purpose of that is eternal. When people hear and change their life, it's eternal. My wife, um, I look at her, uh, she was in the first service, and one of the things she said in one of our small groups one time really changed my life, uh, or changed our, the, the life of our small group. She was talking about how she serves in the children's area, and somebody says, well, that's because you love kids. You're a nurse, you have babies, you, you have a lot of kids, you, you love kids. And she says, I don't love kids. I love Jesus. And that was her reasoning for being in the kids area. It has nothing to do with kids. And we all love our own kids. We don't love your kids. We understand that? Now, over there, we love your kids. But we love your kids because we love Jesus. But I look at all of you, and I want to understand you to understand there's a purpose to what you're doing. I mean, in the back, Connor Bolton in the back, he does all the graphics for our social media whenever we put social media because that's what he's gifted to do. Uh, Matt Irvin, Matt uh, doesn't even know this, but uh, after every Eve of Christmas Eve service, everybody comes up to me, if you've ever been, it's a big production. People come up to me and say, Joel, you did a great job, man. I can't believe you can do all this. And I think to myself, you know, first of all, Joey does all this. <laughs> I don't do anything. And then like Matt and Rich did this big old dance and all this. And Matt, the, like weeks before, was in front of thousands of people at another play doing just a great job. And they're like, man, he's God just got it. And I'm like, you know what? This is because we have people that give everything to their church and they do. God does it through them. It has nothing to do with me. Your purpose is eternal when you're serving in this church, even in the minute things that you're doing. 
Whether it's uh, the rubbles. Yesterday, Clayton came to me. He, I made him work his own garage sale rather than me work it for him. And he's sitting out there all day work trying to get, make money so he can go to Peru with him, Clayton, my oldest son. And, and he says, you know what? They just came up and, and they bought something that was not worth what they bought for just because. I hope it was you. He said it was y'all. So, okay. He said they just did it because they wanted to bless. And I th- you know what? That's what I see all over. I see the the. Stuff in the back, Jenny and Patrick and Beth Kelsey set up all of this, uh, this online uh, auction. It's incredible. And all of it has nothing to do with me. It's all because people say, hey, you know what? I want to serve God in my way. Every single one of you is making an impact. There is a mission, but there is, there's opportunities that will go into eternity. The last thing I want to show you is this, that you were created to become like Christ. So we, in this church, we just say celebrate, connect, commit, or con- contribute and commit. But I want to, that commit, we encourage you to read your Bible and stuff like that. That's what churches do, right? But it's because you have a purpose to become like Christ. It says God is looking forward to who you are becoming because you are, are more than just your job. You're more than all of that. From the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and he knew who they would be should become like his son. Paul said in Philippians, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. You see, Jesus was tempted. Jesus uh, was disappointed by people. He was betrayed in everything about Jesus's life. We see temptation. We see opportunities and choices he made. And he always made a choice that, that made him more revealed as Christ or as the Christ, more revealed as God. Every temptation you have in life is a choice. Every time that you are discouraged, it is a choice for you to say, am I going to live life as Christ or am I going to fall into this? And understand this carries into eternity. If you don't learn now to make a choice that says I'm going to be more like Christ, when you get to eternity and you're actually around Christ, it's going to be very uncomfortable. We have this opportunity in this life to choose to be more like the person we're going to take into eternity. You have purpose in this life that is given to you from God. It's to love him and celebrate him. To be a part of his family and to grow his family. It's to be, uh, contribute to the mission that, that God has given us in this short time here. And it's also to become more like him. You were, you were born physically and you're supposed to grow up physically, but you were born again spiritually and you're supposed to grow up spiritually. And so the last thing I want to just say to you is that some of us in this room are missing it. Some of you have come up with your plans for this day and for tomorrow and for the next week and the next week and the next week. And this is what God's word says about your plans. It says, many are the plans in the, man, in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You may have your plans for what you're going to do every single day. But at the end of the day, you're going to get to this point where you're like, does this even matter? That's where I was. I got to this point in my life where I was like, I've got all these plans and they are either crumbling or not going anywhere. But when I finally realized I need to quit following my plans and I need to follow the purpose I was created for. Those purposes changed everything about why I wanted to get up and not stay in bed, why I wanted to live. There is a better life 
than some of us are living. I would encourage you to remember, you will spend more time in eternity than you will spend here. So don't waste your life on your plans. Don't waste your life trying to live out the things you want for today and miss what God has for you for eternity. The better life is available. God says it this way. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good and run to him. Taste and see. No one will ever love you more than your creator does. And to go your whole life living without knowing him is a tragedy. And you will get to the end of it and regret it. Somebody died for you. Somebody died so that you can have eternal life and live a life of purpose. And he knows, by the way, that you're frustrated with your life right now. He knows right now that you long for more. He knows these things. He, he knows your hurts. He knows your fears. He knows all of the loneliness you have at night when no one else is around or no one else is in your head. He knows your insecurities. He knows it all. And that's why I want to just point out, it is not an accident that you are in this service at this time. God has orchestrated, I believe, you to be here right now. And, and so we're going to close this, um, this sermon in, in a unique way. And it's, uh, it's a way that we've closed before. Last month we closed this way. And, and some of you may, may find this unusual, especially if it's your first or second time here. But I believe that the purpose that we, that some of us in here right now are struggling with this idea of purpose. And we're a family in this church. And so how we're going to close is this. We're going to close in prayer, but we're not just going to, I'm not just going to pray over you. I actually want some of us to pray for, for each other. You see, because if, if you're here right now and you just say, you know what, tomorrow I'm dreading tomorrow. I'm dreading going into work. I'm dreading waking up. I'm dreading being a teacher or a mother or whatever you're going to do, and you're dreading it. Or maybe you're in a, in a season right now that's so fruitful and you don't know why you're there. And you're just overwhelmed and you don't feel any value in it. Maybe you just don't have a purpose and you, you wish you had that purpose that motivated you, but you're in a depression or whatever it is. If you're a struggle right now, I'm going to invite you in just a second to raise your hand. If you're overwhelmed by anything, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. Because... It's an amazing thing that happens in church is all of us come and there are some of us that come here just crying out needing God, but there are some of us that know God has blessed us and we are in a season of health or a season of joy. And so it's like a swishing a cup of water that some is overflowing and some of it, the other side is empty. And then there's going to be a time when the other side is overflowing and that side that was overflowing is now empty. And so some of us here need to be overflowing into those of us that are empty right now. Because there's going to be a time probably next month or in the next month when you are empty and somebody's going to need to overflow. You're either here to be filled or you're here to fill someone up. I believe that's why God has brought you here. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to invite any of you right now who are in a season of struggle or overwhelm to raise your hands. I just want you right now, just raise your hand and be bold. And I'm going to tell you that uh, this is hard to do, but... I'm actually in this season right now. This, this, this week has been overwhelming for me. In this week, uh, I just became pressed. Y'all know our location situation has been bearing down on me every single day that goes by. Some of you are like, oh, he's got this, this new location. We're being pushed out of this building. And some of y'all think that we've just got the answer and we're just going to reveal it later on. It's, no, it's not what's going on. It's every single day. 
I feel this pressure. And every single week I've got to preach, but I've also got to, to hope God's going to reveal something that I know he's going to, but I don't know when or where. And so I'm raising my hand right now as I feel overwhelmed. It's hard to preach every single week and have all these other things that I've got to lead and do. And so I want to encourage you again, raise your hands, keep them up if there's anything overwhelmed. And it may not be a lot, but there are some of you around. And so I thank you for your honesty. You know, we had our first service and every single person raised their hand. So y'all are doing better than them, I guess. I don't know. But in this moment, here's what I want us to do. If you right now need someone to pray for you, I want you to just keep your hand up. And if uh, you're in a season where you feel blessed, you feel as if, you know what, I, I, right now God is taking care of me. I need to pour out into someone else. I want you to move in just a moment and find someone and pray for them. I want some of y'all to come pray with me. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll pray, I'll open us up in prayer, and then I'm gonna have just a time of 30 seconds or a minute to where I'm gonna let you pray for each other out loud, okay? And just take that time to pray for one another, look around, find someone who needs it. Maybe you just feel purposeless and you just need God to reveal that, pray. And then I'll come back and I will pray uh, over us and close us out, uh, or, and then we'll, we'll sing one more song. But I just want to remind you, that God is in control and that he has a purpose whether you're here to fill or be filled. So let's pray. Lord, in this moment, there are some of us who don't know why we're here. We don't know what's going on in our life. We feel as if we're just treading water. Lord, I pray that in this moment, you'll reveal the purposes of our struggle. You'll reveal the purpose of our life and you'll give hope and encouragement. Lord, I pray that for those of us that right now we feel blessed, we feel as if you are taking care of us, Lord, I pray that you'll give us a boldness to go and pray for one another, that you'll give us a boldness to pour into someone and to speak and be used by you in a way that we may not be used to doing. But Lord, we don't wanna waste our life, whether it's our struggles or whether it's our blessing. We wanna make sure that we're pouring into someone that we know we're gonna be with for eternity. So Lord, bless us as we pray.